You are listening to He Restores My Soul, the second in a series of sermons entitled The Lord is My Shepherd, Studies of Psalm 23, delivered at Hocassin Baptist Church in November of 2008. And now, Pastor John Boulay. As we continue in our sermon series entitled The Lord is My Shepherd, there's, I've had three goals for the month of November. <clears throat> During the sermon series, the first goal that's, that I've, I've had or that I was convicted in, in considering what to preach, particularly coming off of uh, the God and Politics uh, sermon series last month, was that we as a people of God need to foster quiet souls that listen to the Lord. And this, more than any other time of the year that I can think of, there is so much speaking into our lives, whether it's politics or materialism or the holidays or family issues. All of these things are crowding our minds. And so for that reason alone, November is a time for us to simply quiet our spirits and realize that the only conversations that really have to occur in our life are between us and God. Those are the most important. That's the first goal. The second goal is to foster and encourage you to grow in your prayer life. As we look through Psalm 23, it is a prayer. All the Psalms are prayers. And it's, it's my hope that as we go through the sermon series, we will be better at praying. You will understand prayer better. It will be a, a more significant part of your life and that you will be able to speak to the Lord in ways that maybe before you haven't been able to do. So that's the second goal. And the third one is that I believe that the Psalms are to be read and prayed by the congregations of God's people. I believe it is a substantive book of the Bible. For many, many years, centuries, hundreds of years, the church has called the book of Psalms the book of the church. And they would read it every month. And so this is a call. This is a call into the Psalms to discover God there and to meet with Him. So the way that the sermon series is will be all through this month as we're going to talk about a little bit about prayer, we're going to talk a little bit about Psalm 23, and then we're going to pray. We're going to, we're going to pray as a congregation each Sunday during November. This morning, I'm going to invite you to feel free to come forward and to kneel before the cross and to pray before the Lord. I think there are some of you here this morning who probably need to bow before God as you approach Him, and we want to make that opportunity there for you. Um, and so we'll do that towards the end of the service. But that's our goal, is to seek the face of the Lord through Psalm 23. And as we do that, I'd like to start talking a little bit about language, because language, uh, language is important, particularly as we think about prayer. And language is what I consider one of the most mystical things of, human, of all of humanity, is language. and I don't mean English or Spanish or German, I mean the fact that with my diaphragm and my larynx, is, is it my larynx? Is that the sound box? With my diaphragm and my sound box, I can push air out of my body. It can travel a distance. It can hit you, and it can mean something. That's fabulous. I mean, if you stop and think about it, somehow I create a puff of wind that conveys meaning and changes life across the room or across the country. Language is phenomenal. 
It's, it's absolutely a mystery to me how that is. We could know the science behind the production of sound, and we could know all the anthropology behind the, the, the construction of languages, and still find this mystery of how can a human being create wind that changes life. That's language. And it belongs to every human. It belongs to us from the very moment we enter this world. When we come out of the womb, what does a child do? A child screams. And that may not sound like a word. It certainly is not a word, but it is communication. The infant is telling us that he's uncomfortable where he is. It's new, it's strange, it's bizarre. He just got hit. I would cry too. And certainly, the the first cries of an infant are undefinable, but for any parent who has ever had a newborn, you very quickly learn the cries, don't you? I mean, it seems like an eternity for those people with new children, but once you step back, you realize in about two months, you know if the baby's making a dirty diaper cry, is it a I'm hungry cry, is it an I'm tired cry, is it an I'm bored cry, is it a I'm crying because I know the one thing you don't want me to do right now is cry, cry. <laughs> Our oldest perfected that one. But what comes out is that these cries are not um, arbitrary. They're not meaningless. They certainly mean something. When a child, when an infant cries out, it has this need. It has some need that is not being met. And it's crying out. And what draws us as parents to that child is the fact that you and I can meet those needs. And that's where the intimacy comes. This form of language, this form of language that we see with infants is the most primal and intimate of all language. This ability to cry out and say, help. And for us to come and help. That's what creates relationship. Imagine for a moment what would have happened, ladies, fathers, if after delivering the child, the child you know, got cleaned and came in in an outfit and said, thanks, mom, I appreciate the hard work. If you need me, I'll be in the nursery. Uh, and Tommy asked me if I could spend the night over his house. Is that Okay. I mean, I think about that. I think when I watch nature shows and, and some animals give birth to, the, to a, a young and it falls on the ground and it hops on its legs and it's running and a week later it's gone. And we have to ask ourselves, would, we, would, would the bond we have with our children even look remotely like it does now if there was not this need? That what draws us to our children is they need us. They cry out to us and we come around them. And that's what, that's what makes us love our children. You probably see where I'm going with this. It's intimate and it's drawn by need. Now, it doesn't exist with children alone. Uh, as the child starts to, to grow, all of a sudden they don't just scream, they coo and they giggle and they kind of do that little babble back to you, right? And it's their way of, at least it's my way as a parent of kind of reconciling. They're trying to say thanks for all the hard work. And we as parents do it too. I've seen you say stuff to your children that I don't know what it means. Because we have our own languages with infants. I've seen, I think that's what's in nursery rhymes. You realize almost no nursery rhymes make sense. Why do we say this little piggy went to the market? I don't understand that. What I think the heart behind nursery rhymes are is not their meaning, but their intimacy. 
When you play with your children's feet and saying, this little piggy, you're growing closer to the child. Right? These, these poems bring us, they, they connect us. It's this intimacy that's so primal in this form of language. It's so significant. In my home, we are a nicknaming family. Every one of my children has eight or ten or twelve nicknames. All of our animals have nicknames. And in fact, we almost never use their real names. Am I stepping on something? Okay, let me move it down a little bit. I almost never use my children's real name. And I've gone back and forth. I'm not going to share you their names because one day they'll know. And they'll be ashamed. But what I do find is my nicknames for my children are a way of me being intimate. It's my way of giving affection simply in their name. When I, ha- when I use their nickname, when I call them, it's, it's a way of telling them I love them but simply by saying their name. And I think that's what our Lord does when he renames us. When he calls Abram out, and when he starts to use Abram, and he makes a covenant with Abram, he says, now I'm going to give you a new name that just you and I use. Or when he has Jacob and he wrestles with Jacob and they get to this new level of intimacy and he says, Jacob, now I want to call you Israel. Or with Saul of Tarsus. Now you will be my Paul. That's a way that language is so intimate. Now it's certainly not the only form of language, this intimate kind of primal call out of need. This I need and then the coming and the intimacy of, of ministering to the need. There's other forms. That language f- roughly fits into three rough categories. The one we just talked about. Another category of language is a descriptive language. That with my diaphragm and my larynx, I somehow can force wind out. And it travels a distance and it hits you and you get smarter. Or less smart, depending on what I do with that sound. But it certainly is there is that form of language where I can transmit information to you and you can transmit back. That's equally interesting. That's better than the internet. And there's this third kind. It's this, what I would call power language. It's the ability to compress our diaphragm and make a puff of wind that makes somebody actually do something. I mean, that is awesome. That I can say to one of my children, sit down. And they sit. Usually, they sit. Some of your families, your children have perfected this better than you. And they use it the other way. And and that's what we call dysfunction. (laughs) So you should work on that. Now that you've identified it, start working on it. You get the power language in the house. And all three of these, all three of these forms of language are equally mystical. They're equally fabulous. They're equally entwined. And rarely do they stand alone. They're usually used in some kind of combination with each other. And you can see that in Scripture. The creation story of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, is a descriptive account of the way that the earth was made. So that would be that descriptive language. But it's a descriptive account of the way that the Lord spoke creation into being. So it's a descriptive account of his power language. And it's written in the form of a poem that expresses his love of mankind. And so just in Genesis 1-3, through you see God describing his power of speaking and his love of mankind. All three languages wrapped up. And so we find all three of these languages existing in many parts of Scripture. But I guess my question today and what I would like us to think about is what kind of language is prayer? When we pray, what kind of language are we using? 
Because I think that's a first step in praying rightly, is understanding how, what kind of language we're even using. Do we pray because God needs to know what's going on? Do, do we pray simply to inform God of the situation? Dear Lord, I'm concerned about my job. I'm worried I'm going to lose it. I know you don't know this, so here's the deal. Is that why we pray? Certainly not. Certainly the Lord knows before we even ask, Scripture says. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows these things. Do we pray to coerce or compel the Lord to do something? Certainly we do, but that's not appropriate. But certainly, many of us pray because we figure if we pray enough, the Lord will finally throw His hands up and bend to our will. If you only prayed enough, He'll give you what you want. Is that the power of prayer that Scripture speaks of? Certainly not. The power of prayer is not our power that we project on the Lord, that we don't coerce the Lord. The power of prayer is the power that God extends to us through our prayer. So prayer is not descriptive, and it certainly isn't power language. We certainly would not be so blasphemous as to compel or coerce God. I think prayer is this primal, intimate language that we see with children to their parents. It's a language of need. Psalms are psalms of people crying out for help. All through the psalms, you'll see that almost every psalm, I, I, might, I would say every psalm, but I don't know. So I'll say almost every psalm starts with one of two things. Help or thank you for help. So half the psalms are saying, Lord, where are you? Lord, I need help. Lord, where are my enemies? They're all around me. And the other half are saying, praise the Lord, O my soul, for he has rescued me from darkness. That's, the psalms are either help or thank you for help. They're either asking to save us or they're thinking. Psalm 22, which is placed right in front of this one, begins this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Help me, God. Even our Christ prays that. Eugene Peterson, who is the author and translator of the message, and who has been formative in, in my understanding and appreciation of prayer and psalms, says this, the language of prayer is forged in the crucible of trouble. We might say this way, that intimacy with God is formed in the crucible of trouble. The only reason we go to God is because we need him. And when you, don't know, when you cannot figure out a reason to pray, that is an opportunity for you to realize that you don't think you need God. Have you ever noticed the holier the person you meet, the more they pray? It's because the more they realize they need God. The more we have of God, the more we realize we need God. Intimacy with God is forged in the crucible of trouble. Paul writes it this way in Romans 8, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Spirit, the Lord doesn't need words, it doesn't need description, it doesn't need, the Father doesn't need to know our whole problem. The Father needs us to open our soul to him and groan. If you just lay face down for the Lord, and petition him. If you simply cry out to the Father, why? Where, O oh Lord? Save me, Father. That is prayer. He certainly does not need eloquence. So rather than worrying about what to say, let's be still and let's open our hearts to the Lord. Peterson says it this way. He says, we prepare 
to pray not by composing our prayers, but ourselves. And so this morning as we pray, as we seek opportunities to approach the Lord, I ask you to prepare yourself, to compose and comprise yourself as we consider the 23rd Psalm. So if you will, pray with me and we'll begin. Lord, you see each one of us here this morning. Father, we ask that you bear each one of us open to yourself, Lord. Make, make us stand plainly in your sight so that we may see our need of you and your care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we meditate quickly on Psalm 23, if you'll turn there, and I put it in your bulletin as well. Last week we looked at verse 1. This morning we're going to look at verse 2 and 3. And I thought, uh, by way of any kind of commentary, what I would say about verses 2 and 3, and, the, and I think the deal is, is that the, the poetry is so perfect here that I can hardly give commentary on it. So if you will with me, read together. We'll read the whole 23rd Psalm, and then we'll look at verses 2 and 3 together. But if you'll read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. Verses 2 and 3 go this way. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The metaphor to me is self-explanatory, especially if you imagine yourself as a sheep. The Lord brings us to a place and he makes us lie down in green pastures. God is a rest giver. He leads me beside the quiet waters. God brings us to a place of peace. God is a peace giver. He restores my soul. God renews us within. Notice it doesn't say he restores my body. He restores my health. It doesn't say those things. It is a deeper truth. It is a deeper intimacy. The God doesn't restore our bodies. He restores our souls. And our bodies are passing away, but our souls are being constantly renewed by the Lord. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says it this way. This is his commentary on the 23rd Psalm, verses 2 and 3. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Christ says. Last Sunday, we prayed to the God, our provider. We said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. We said, we shall not lack anything. That was the God, our provider. Today we pray in Psalm 23, verse 2 and 3, to the Lord, the rest giver. 
Lord, the peace bringer. Lord, the soul renewer. That's who our Father is. Now, I don't, I don't want to stop it. He restores my soul because despite the fact that the kind of language comes to an, a logical conclusion there, verse 3 ends this way. He, it says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It doesn't simply end that He restores my soul. And I think it's worth us meditating this morning on the kind of the classic question of who came first, the chicken or the egg, the question of who is Who's the purpose behind the flock and the shepherd? Does the shepherd exist for the flock, or does the flock exist for the shepherd? Because so often we think that God is here for us, that he guards us and takes care of us for our good, but the shepherd shepherds because the flock is his. It is for God's name's sake that he takes care of us. When God gives us rest, he does it for his name's sake. When he gives us peace, it is for his name's sake. When God provides for us, it is for his name's sake. Psalm 100 begins this way. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to the Lord. We are his sheep. For those of you who look to Christ this morning for peace and rest, this is our time to pray to the rest giver. But not everybody in here belong to the shepherd. I can preach, I can pray, and I can preach peace and rest and renewal on you if you are the sheep of the Lord's pasture. If God is your shepherd, then peace be on you. If God is your shepherd, then shalom. Rest. Be renewed. Have your soul renewed. But if God is not your shepherd, I pray unrest on your soul. I pray that there would not be peace in your heart. I pray that this would be a time of unrest where you would look and finally cry out with need for the shepherd. You don't need rest today. You need a shepherd we are either in need of rest from our God or we are in need of God. And if you search for rest outside of the shepherd, you are like a sheep that has gone his own way. You don't need rest. You need God. And so there is no peace outside of the Lord. And I will not, I will not stunt your walk towards Christ or the way you seek the Lord by promising you something that does not exist. It is not there. And so I pray that you seek the shepherd this morning. And there's a third class or group that I want to address in that. Those are you whose peace or unrest has come because of anger that you have with a brother in Christ, lack of forgiveness, or unconfessed sin. If you have unrest because you have unconfessed sin, I don't pray peace over your soul. I pray confession over your soul. This is your time to stand up and not approach the altar, but to go and find the person with whom you have made a wrong and say, forgive me, and make peace there, and then come make peace with Christ. We can come to the Father when we have asked forgiveness and we don't have anger and, 
and sin built up with one another. But if there is unresolved conflict here, resolve it with your brother first. That's what the Lord says. Christ says, get up from the altar, go and ask forgiveness, and then come back and bring your offering. And so this morning, to those of you who need to seek the Lord's rest, peace be on you, have the Lord's rest. For those of you who seek the Lord, I pray that you find the need that you finally cry out. And for those of you who need to be called into confession, I pray that you would confess. In bringing you praise everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending, your glory Give you control, consume me 